Well, there's no doubt that, you know, we've come a long way since 1994 when it comes to various programs, laws that, uh, you know, affect the greater population, make uh, business, interaction, education, many things more equitable and more, you know, more balanced in the society that South Africa is still very much a development, uh, in, in its development phase. Um, there's a particular piece of legislature, piece of law uh, that uh, is under currently under discussion and has been so you know, for some time now in various forms, if not in its current title, but I could say as back as what at least 10, 12 years ago, the ideas thereof were, were mooted and were discussed. And that's the, the Bella Bill, the Basic Education Laws Amendment Bill, in short, the, the Bella Bill. Well, we are joined uh, this morning by Brother Enver Surti. Now, Enver Surti is, of course, no stranger to um, the airwaves and no stranger to, to our discussions, serving as an MP, Minister of Justice and Deputy Minister of Education, and in fact, a negotiator of the Bill of Rights and uh, a part author as well. And, and the topic of discussion, of course, well, let me call it the controversial Bella Bill, which has become a bone of contention. Uh, we explore the significance of the bill in South Africa's especially educational landscape, where much of the concern lies. Uh, it's proposed amendments to the existing South African Schools Act of 1996 and its aims to address governance issues and enhance school management quality. And uh, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah and vasurti. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa to, to you and your listeners. And shukran for joining us. Um, Enver, before we begin with, you know, whatever may or may not be a bone of contention or discussion, could you provide us an overview of the Basic Education Laws Amendment or the Bella Bill? I mean, what is it signific- the significance of this bill in the contents of education in South Africa and, and why, uh, you know, has, has the government considered such a bill to be a necessary one? Okay. Well, no, I'll gladly do so, but first let me just clarify, you know, as you know, I'm no longer in the ministry or in the Department of Basic Education, I am a member of the African National Cons- uh, uh, Congress, but I'm not speaking here as a spokesperson for either the Department of Basic Education or the African National Congress. I'm not, I'm not apologizing for being a member. I am indeed a member. What had arisen is a clip was sent to me uh, by a friend, uh, you know, indicating certain concerns with regard to the bill itself and asked whether indeed it is so. I requested a copy of the bill, having been out of the department, you know, having retired uh, five years ago, almost five years ago, and looked at the bill, the provisions of the bill, many of which basically I was involved in the crafting of it. And and then I looked at the clip and looked at the issues that were raised there. Now, what I can see in terms of the bill itself, firstly, it's an administrative and management bill. It's an education laws amendment bill. And the issues that were raised, and then perhaps because of the limited time, and I just respond to them very, very briefly, the, the clip that I saw was by a very eloquent lady, and I discovered later that she was also a researcher, or she is also a researcher, as well as a member of a political party, but that's irrelevant. And, and the concerns are not illegitimate, they are legitimate, but the context must be understood. And let's just take the issues that have been raised in the conversation, or the requests that had come to me with regard to these specific issues. The first was in relation to the authority of governing bodies. Mm. The, 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 the suggestion was that the governing body is taking away the power, the government is taking away the power of, from governing bodies. Now, there is a history and a genesis to that, uh, Molana Zunay. 
Mm. You know, uh, we had a case that went right up to the Constitutional Court to, to determine where is the locus of authority in terms of education. Now, the act, the, the previous act, or the, 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 the act itself, uh, if it's literally interpreted, would locate all the power to the governing body. What happened in Ermelo is the school was half empty, and there was a huge demand for space. African children were not allowed because of a language policy that was there. And, and when the department tried to intervene to say, but look, you know, we will provide resources. Can't you admit these children here? Your school is half empty. Uh, they said, no, we have the authority in terms of uh, the law. And, 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 and this is an Afrikaans-speaking school, and these children were excluded. The Constitutional Court decided, and, and correctly, you know, was that basically the issues of equity and access and the broad interests of the community cannot be ignored. And the reality in South Africa had been and still is is that Afrikaans-speaking schools are mainly half-empty. English-speaking schools are overcrowded. Educators who are mm-hmm. teaching in public schools will tell you that they have children from everywhere else. But you go down to Rudaport, Krugersdorf, go to Rassenberg, go to Pritara, and you find the Afrikaans mm-hmm. schools funded by the taxpayers. So what had happened as a result of that particular decision of the Constitutional Court, we amended the legislation, which is in the Bella Bill, to say that the authority still lies with the governing body. But the governing body must provide the head of department with the admission policy, with the language policy, and the code of conduct. And I'll come to the code of conduct just now, because it's very critical for us to understand that. Now, it, it, it means that if, if, for example, the head of department discovers that the demographics of the school has changed significantly, that the dominant language is not Afrikaans, it would provide resources and say, look, you, it's better to have a dual-medium school, provide better access to, to the broader community, and in that way, there, I mean, everybody gains. So that really is the purpose and the object of that particular amendment. It is not targeting any of the schools. You know, and I, I, at times, Molana, I get a bit confused. Because many of the, most of our private or independent schools, Islamic schools, don't even have governing bodies. They basically function through trustees that manage the, the schools. But that's irrelevant. The, the, the purpose here is to understand why this, why this has happened. The mm-hmm. second issue which has been raised in the clip again was the issue of, uh, uh, well, it was, the bill itself, what's a critical element about the bill? Is, is the issue of diversity, religious and cultural diversity. Now, I had been in the education system for a considerable period of time, and I had received many, many requests of schools, particularly formerly, former white schools, where children, through the code of conduct of those schools, were not allowed to wear a beard, even if they were doing hafs, or children who wore scarves were told to remove their scarves because it is in contrary to the code of conduct. Now, again, here, with the matter went right to the Constitutional Court, in relation to a no-stud worn by a girl in KwaZulu-Natal. And, 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 and the, the, school, the code of conduct of the school said, no, you can't wear that item. But it's a cultural, some people would say it's a religious identity, but it was more cultural identity, which basically mm. was not invasive, not intrusive, did not affect the performance of the child. And we, we certainly believe that that was the position. We conveyed that to the MECs for education. In fact, our, our guidelines for uniforms more than 20 years ago states that the religious identity of the children must not be, and cultural identity must not be interfered with in the dressing code of the school. So... 
So we had these requests, and then this constitutional court decision, which was very correct and very, very progressive and very enlightened, came, and we included in the bill that religious diversity in the code of conduct, cultural diversity must be taken into account, and exemptions must be provided in appropriate circumstances. So, for example, if, if a child wishes to wear a beard for religious purposes, you know, they, they, they can't exclude the child because of that particular identity. So it's an important step forward, it's progress. So, so that's one, the other thing. The, the, the next thing that was raised out, out there was that homeschooling. And, you know, th- this is the clip, and, and you know, I don't know what the reasons are for it. I'm not saying it's bad faith or whatever, but just to clarify the matter. Homeschooling, the, 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 the Department of Basic Education wants to impose new values or values that are deviant or uh, far removed from, uh, you know, from, from our norms as Muslims. In, in, in homeschooling. Now, there's only one curriculum that applies. It applies to the national department, you know, to public schools, to independent schools, and to homeschooling. And as long as there's an alignment to the curriculum, that cannot be a problem. The assessment that is done in homeschooling is done by an independent assessor, not, not by the department. The department you had previously done it, it was too costly, it was too difficult. And it says, assess your child every year in every phase, and every three years provide us with a report. How you teach your child, whether in the sitting room, whatever cultural values, religious values, it's your business. Nobody's going to interfere with that. But when Denver, the child if I could, uh, if, if I could just okay, come in with regards to yes, the to, to the homeschooling yes. on that particular point over there, uh, yes, will a parent require? permission from the department in order to homeschool their child at the onset and the the homeschooling process can only begin when the department has given express permission that you are allowed to do so it's just it's a question of registration you know the department basically you know there's also a provision about compulsory school you know so because now you have a situation in many instances where children are kept away from school because the father feels it's too far, or the, chi- or the, or the child is being in rural areas, has to look after the grand- grandmother and is not allowed to go to school, or the child is basically assisting the father instead of going to school and dropouts take place much earlier rather than later. So these are factors, and you know, in, in all, in, in, in most progressive developed countries, compulsory education for the first 10 years uh, is there. And, and so basically, how does the school det- how does the department determine whether a child is schooling in other words it looks at your your, your public schools it looks at your uh, independent schools and it looks at homeschooling so it's just a question of mechanical question of registration it's not going to prohibit it obviously it will have to assess is it appropriate for homeschooling to take place are, is the environment conducive for that particular to take place so when the application is made questions are asked and the department has the right to basically assess whether indeed it is in the best interest of the child for homeschooling to take place and and, and you know that, that is just normal but it's not any Enver, that of course is where the issue may lie for many people the fact that people have chosen homeschooling as an option uh, more often than not it is because they don't trust the system of of the department in its current form, either to reflect a qualitative education or to reflect their norms. So uh, the, you can understand the resistance that they have, uh, and it will seem that, you know what, it's
it's asking or registering with the department and sort of like you putting an application and putting it putting it at the behest of the department that whether I can homeschool my child or not. You can understand where this resistance is com- coming from. No, that, I understand, you know, but it's a, it, Mulana, it's a pure misunderstanding because basically if you want to, the choice is there. You have three choices. Go to a public school, go to an independent school or do homeschooling. Now, obviously, if you want to do homeschooling, it means that you've got to basically apply for registration. It's not the department is not saying to you, you cannot have homeschooling. The department is not saying for it to you, listen, these are the hours that you've got to teach. And the department's not going to say, I'm going to select your tutor for you. You do that yourself and you teach whatever values that are appropriate for the child. So it's a question of registration because how do you assess the child if the child is not re- uh, uh, registered? How do you determine... Where, 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 you know, in every phase, the child has to be assessed. How are we going to ex- how are we going to determine whose report it is if the child is not registered? So the, it's not invasive, it's not intrusive. It is merely a formality to basically be able to manage a complex system because homeschooling is a privilege that has been extended to families who feel that the children are better taught at home, and it's their right. It's a democratic right to do so. Nobody's ever stopped it, and I certainly would not stop it. But I'm saying to you, people argue on the other hand to say the benefits of 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 of, of going to school is you know uh, is the, the is less insular. You are able to interact socially. So there are pros and cons to everything else. Sure, but I mean, th- that's available. a separate discussion but on its own with regards to homeschool discussion. or not. Of absolutely, course. absolutely. And absolutely. And, and, pe- and people, of course, have have overcome the insulation factor by joining other clubs, soccer clubs, or whatever weekend clubs yeah, to to create no, no, that interaction. I'm, interact. really, I'm not arguing against yeah. it. I'm not arguing. Mm. Malana, I'm not arguing. Even with regards to those parents, let's assume that I don't want to school academically for the next two years. I've got a 12-year-old and I've been advised to take this 12-year-old out of school so that they may complete, for example, their HIFs. This is very common in our community and I, I'm assuming that you know probably umpteen number of people in the community that have for, you know, went through this particular process. They either return to school, conventional school, homeschool later on or whatever. What happens in that two-year period that I decide to, let me use this phrase which is less used in our society, but unschool my child for those two years because I feel that they've got a particular sabbatical that they need to take to complete this particular task. In our community, very likely it'll be HIFS. Other communities may have got other pursuits. Maybe they want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, whatever the case may be, as a family. What happens then? Okay, no, no, I, I think that's an important question. Perhaps this is where the biggest, you know, con, uh, you know, areas of contention arise. Because on the one hand, for a learner population of about 12 million, and if you take your first 10 years, you're looking at about 9 million children who basically have to have compulsory education. So that's a norm. But the Act itself, if you look at the Bella Act itself, it, it says two things. It says, once, there must be just, it must be a just reason. And second, there must be a notification. So what it says simply, it simply says that as a norm, whether you're Muslim, whether you're Christian, whether you're Hindu, whether you're Indian, whether you're African or whatever else, you've got to basically have your children doing the 10 years of education from grade R to grade, uh, grade 9. That, that is the norm because after grade 9, you can basically go to an FET college, you can drop out of school, go to employment, or you can c- continue your grade 10, 11, and 12, and then go to university or wherever you wish to. So that's a choice at that point in time. But the basic education, which is enshrined in the Constitution, has to be provided. And, you know, the courts are so, so 
meticulous about the need to provide quality, the duty and responsibility of the department or the ministry to provide education, that that, that, that legislation basically provides that norm and standard. Now the question is, what happens to a child who wishes to do hips? You know, you know, you know. It, it, some 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 have far schools. Others basically do it part time. Others do it through homeschooling. It's a choice. Now, just cause basically means there must be a legitimate reason. Now, you, you spoke about Mount Kilimanjaro. Is one other people may have particular talents say in cricket or in football or a particular skill that they want to develop overseas and want to leave from school for a period of six months. 12 months, 18 months, depending on the nature of the thing. But you can't write all these exceptions and exemptions into legislation. So just cause is an objective criterion. And basically, if you look at our constitution, and I, you know, I urge people to go to public participation programs because it's there basically to explain the legislation, to say this is what the legislation, other questions, other things that you would want to tell us, which we might not have looked at. And that's what the NCOP is doing now. In all the provinces, there are public hearings around the bill to say not to vote on the bill. <laughs> and, and people mm. say, you're going to vote out there. You don't vote on the bill out there. It's merely to say, this is the content of the bill. Other questions arising in terms of clarity. Would you like to make any sub- or suggestions in terms of refining the quality of the bill? And so when it comes to hips, and I, you know, I have two siblings who have children. One is a medical doctor, a lawyer. And a Hafizul Quran. I'm very proud of him. The other is a lawyer, a very competent lawyer, and a Hafizul Quran. Both of them have both secular and Islamic education. The way they bring up the children, one, one sends the children to, 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 to school, a public school. The other one sends, does homeschooling. And, you know, the, the, way, the, the way the education and knowledge, the education basically complements each other. Your dini knowledge and your, 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 your secular knowledge basically provides that growth and development, and enables them to contribute meaningfully to society. And and but, that, that is, of course, a choice that a parent you know, needs to make. There may, there may be those parents who say, there may be those parents who say that I will design my curriculum for my child on my own, choose a foreign curriculum that may not even be recognized in South Africa, and I'm confident that I will produce an academically inclined child later on, you know, 16, 17 years from now. My, my particular question is that in that, in that definition of just cause, now, yes. uh, I've been advised that I need to take out my kid for two years from school to concentrate on the completion of his hifs. Uh, mm. Later on, the prerogative may be to return him or not. Not debating you know, the, the benefits of having but, but, both academic or acquired this, education, but in that two-year period, am I allowed to deregister him without facing yes. criminal but charges? But the point, that's really the point, there wouldn't be a just cause if it was an absolute provision. Just cause means basically you could apply for any reason whatsoever. That's reasonable and objectively it has to be reasonable. Your constitution, the founding provisions of the constitution provide, Molana, that you've got to promote Arabic, Hebrew, mm. Sanskrit. It's, 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 it's a, in the founding provisions, you need 75% to basically remove that. So the constitution promotes, HIFS is about Arabic, studying in Arabic, and it's a promotion of Arabic. Now, basically, and, and if these are the circumstances, and they know, you know, objectively, they could be able to test, and they would engage, you would engage them, and this is the reason, this is what it is. What it does, it allows the flexibility. A parent can say, I want it for one year, I want it for two years. Now, if a parent is going to say, I want my child to be out for five years, the child is now in grade four, and then after five years, he has to go to grade five. The child is so much older, how would he or she feel in the class? 
So, you know, one has to look at the circumstances and you can't legislate on every one of those elements there. There is nothing prohibiting an application for, uh, you know, for exemption for a particular period period of time because of closely held religious beliefs and because it also does something that the constitution refers to is the promotion of a language which is Arabic. It's in the constitution, it's not anywhere else. So I, you know, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not in the department, I'm not an expert, but I cannot possibly see how you, you would, you would you know, deprive anybody from, from, from base. I would be the first to march. If, if they said the HIFS schools have to be closed or children who are doing HIFS are not allowed to basically take a year or two off. And it's not going to happen. You know, 30 years have gone by. 30 years have gone by. It's an ANC-led government. Not a single child has been expelled from school because of a beard, because she wore a scarf or anything else. And that says a lot about an attitude and a disposition towards it. And that is why, you know, I, I mean, the Jamia just, I had an engagement that just called me the other day and uh, they said, look, they, they sent two people to, for the public hearings to see what is this all about, to experience it. And so those people were quite enlightened and informed to say, what this bill talking about so many things that are so necessary and critical for the management of schools. I mean, you know, uh, there shouldn't be conflict of interest where a parent basically seeks an exemption and the other parent is now, they are separated, doesn't want to cooperate. How do you basically help that parent, the single parent who is to look after the children, you are basically providing an affidavit and that is being able to be done. The issues of diversity, you know, it's, that's why I urge people, please do two things. One is read the bill, read the bill. And you know, here's another controversy, and I say, you know, it's so misleading. I'm talking about the bill, Molana, I'm not talking about anything else. In the bill, there's one clause which says, the minister shall, through regulation, manage, manage pregnancy. Donor pregnancy. Mm. Now, what happens here? And, and I've been in that particular discussions with the MECs, and it's a complex matter. You have a child who's who discovered the child is now pregnant, right? Uh, through her fault, through no fault of us, whatever the case might be. And the child is in grade nine or grade ten or grade eleven, whatever the case might be. Now, the child is pregnant. Do you really have the child in the classroom? Do you have the child at home? If the child is at home, what kind of support do you provide because she has a right to basic education? Uh, what about the examination? How do you manage this particular process? It's so complex. And there were several discussions. And we, we decided, hey, listen, you know, it needs more consultation. It needs no discussion because you can't on the one hand deny the child who's pregnant the right to basic education. On the other hand, you can't basically have anybody, a child who's now in advantage of pregnancy, going, going to a classroom at her risk, the risk of the baby and possibly for the discomfort of other learners. So these things are sensitive and difficult. And that is why the act makes no reference. Now what we hear in the sound waves and, and, and things to say that you, you're talking about abortion, you're talking about teenage pregnancy, there's nothing. And sex education. The, yes, uh, we understand that, that the, the, there are many parts of the bill that of course have been misrepresented uh, and misinformation regarding it <coughs> as there are parts of the bill that may be, may be a source of genuine concern and, and, yeah, and discussion. You know, the issue, the question, even there, I think there's a legitimate right of every parent to ask any question in relation to the bill. But it's also important before you make a public statement, before you make mm. a public statement, irrespective of who you are, from whatever religious or cultural or racial background you come, is to be able to read the document first. To say, I've read the document, I look at this particular clause, I'm unhappy of it because of, it because of these reasons. In that way, there has to be, the department is obliged 
provide. And Parliament is obliged to provide a response to you. And in many cases, I mean, I've been, <laughs> we've been in Parliament for a long time, I mean, 25 years. We've basically been able to amend legislation. We were even able to amend the Constitution because we receive representations from the Muslim community in terms of certain issues. Now, that is the way in which you go about it. Rather than saying, you know, now the question here is, take, take, take any of these issues. Has any submission, written submission been made? Has any proposal been put on the table to say, with regard to this provision, we would like to suggest that you look at this possible formulation, mm. which would help us in dealing with the matter. Now, that's constructive, that's positive, that's progressive, because nobody has absolute wisdom in terms of the, legislative, uh, the drafting and the content of the legislation. So there may be gaps, and indeed, if there are gaps, they have to be corrected. And that is why the public participation process is so important. You know, and we have one advantage. The chief whip of the National Council of Provinces is Mohamed Dengo. He's Muslim, he, he has political clout, and he's responsible for that institution. He could be engaged. There's a, there's a young man, uh, Junaid, uh, not Junaid, uh, Khalid, Khalid uh, Sayed, who's a member of the, uh, in the Western Cape, member of the uh, uh, standing, com- uh, uh, standing Committee in, in the legislature, and also the spokesperson of the ANC in the legislature. Has, has, have people gone to him to say, listen, say it, come here, let's, let's discuss this here, this particular issue, how do we deal with it? And then that is what interaction is all about, you know, to say, listen, and, you know, now I'm here on York's airwaves, just as a result of an inquiry, from a friend, and I don't mention his name, who, you know, very, very respected, highly respected person, to say, look, this is a clip I've got. What, what is your opinion? I have not seen the bill for five years. I asked for the bill. I looked at the bill, and I responded in writing. And it became viral, and now it seems like I've been asked to do this. I haven't been asked to do this. I responded as a former, as a former official in the department, you know, former member of the department, former member of the executive. And, and this was the result. Now, I'm not angry with anybody for having raised it. And if there was misunderstanding, it must be clarified. That is, that is the matured way. That is the Islamic way, basically, through consultation, you know. Uh, we have to sort things out. But that's in a nutshell. So I would urge people to please read the bill. I, I think, you know, once they've read, they read it or have, have attended a public hearing, they would have a different opinion about the content of the book. It almost seems as if people are now basically mean, mean, uh, basically begin, they are being influenced to believe that the bill targets Muslims. It's the furthest thing from the truth. In fact, Surti, shukran, jazakallah khair for your time. It's just gone past yeah. 8 o'clock. I, I know oh, that this is nice. certainly a loaded discussion indeed. And uh, we, 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 of course, will, will, will not end there, hopefully, maybe today, but not for the rest of this week and the next couple of weeks in the discussion of the bill itself. But you're right. It's a good sta- starting point that where you read the bill itself. And if you can't, you know, d- digest all the clauses yourself that maybe sit with, uh, uh, you know, a, a lawyer friend or maybe somebody in active government and, uh, you know, discuss the bill with them. But shukran jazakullah for, for your time and Vasurti. You are most welcome and I, I think, you know, the community must must understand and accept that they have a right to express their views and, and, and government will indeed and should indeed 
accommodate the, the, the expression of different views and diverse views. It's important mm-hmm. that you do so. Sure. And, and, and I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a question of how you do it in a constructive, mm-hmm. positive, responsible way. Well, parking the Bella Bill discussion right there, parking it with the engine running, mind you, which means that there's still uh, more insights and more discussions to be held regarding it. And that's that's how it is over here, right? You're going to open it up and discuss it, especially the clauses that affect uh, affect us and, and, you know, how how does does this really affect us? Is it exactly how it says? Does it criminalize folks and, uh, you know, who have um, uh, opted to, to unschool, for example? But next is the uh, news, top of the hour news. Apologies to the news team for being a, a tad over um, over their time, over 8 o'clock. I'll be back, inshallah, with the last hour of our Sabah al-Muslim programming from Durban in a while. This news bulletin is brought to you by Baker's SA Limited, one of South Africa's leading independent logistics companies. Baker's provides clients with smart, 